All right, back to podcast. I hope everyone has had a good week and the Lord has been good to you. He certainly has me. Um, I am thankful and grateful for his goodness and mercy. Um, still battling a little bit of a cold, but I, I think I feel better. I think I'm on the men. <clears throat> cough, a cough always likes to linger with me. Uh, I remember one year I had a cough linger in the summertime, and so I kind of got a little bit of a lingering cough, uh, but otherwise I'm okay. I feel a lot better. Um, going to the book of James. Going to the book of James. Had just been such a good time in the Bible, the, the Word of God, um, and studying it. Uh, Sunday services, I enjoy every week. I really do. Um, I enjoy every time I get a chance to, to preach the Word of God. I truly believe it's what I was <coughs> put on this earth to do. Um, to teach and preach the Bible. Um, no, no doubt about that. Um, I've done a lot. Seems like I've packed some living into uh, this life. But I, I guess one of the blessings of life is know, knowing what you're here for. Knowing why you're called. And all of us have been called to do something for God being saved we, we know that by Romans 8 and 28 and, um, after being saved the most important thing in your life is to know why God saved you and it wasn't just to put you in heaven when you die he saved you for a reason something some, someone something to do for him and um I got saved to preach the Word of God, to teach it, and I love doing it. Uh, the book of James, we follow right in line after Hebrews. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, give you a little background. The book of James is a letter. It's an epistle like, uh, like every other epistle we've studied. It is an epistle or a letter that is written by a man by the name of James. He is known as James the Just. He is one of the brothers of our Lord Jesus, and he presided over the church at Jerusalem. We find that reference in Acts 12, 17, Acts 15, and 13. And actually, it is believed to be the earliest of the raw the writings of the New Testament. Um, it, is, it is dated about A.D. 45, so that is, this is not very long after uh, the cross. This is not very long after Calvary at all. Um, and this is not <clears throat> the Apostle James. It's, it's a different James, James the Just. And, uh, and again, the earliest of the New Testament books. Now, you understand from Genesis and Job that... Genesis records the earliest events, but Job is the oldest book, much as the same in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John record the earliest events um, in the New Testament time period, but uh, James is actually the, the youngest 
or the oldest of the books. Um, it's written particularly to Jewish Christians. Okay, so that's that's important because we're coming out of Hebrews. You remember, Hebrews was written uh, basically to the same group. These are people. Now, again, you're not going to find a more practical book for our lives. James teaches us about very practical living, how to live for Jesus. But in its context, it was written to Jewish Christians, Jewish believers. We'll see that in a minute. Uh, and the reason he gets is to warn them get certain faults which they had begun to show and to instruct them how, on how to grow in the Christian faith so that their Christianity would be matured and they'd be able to honor the Lord Jesus Christ. All right. Um, let's look in, Hebrew, in James 1 and 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, so he he starts out immediately letting us know that he is a servant. Uh, it conveys the meaning of a slave or a bond slave. And it's the same word is used to denote his attitude to Jesus. And uh, then he goes on and he says, James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting. So immediately we, we see context. So it says the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. So this would be the head of the, the church in Jerusalem uh, is writing to his Jewish believers living among the tribes of Israel scattered throughout the world. So these Hebrew people, these Israelite people, Jewish people, they got saved. And he, James, is, is the, an early pastor. He is an early preacher. Well, at the time, I mean, you you got to re- realize where we're at here in, in time. I mean, the Jewish religion and the tribes of Israel, have, have, I mean, it's at this point, it's, you know, it's 5,000 years old. And now all of a sudden, it's changing. And, and we've got this new and living way that we'll read about in Hebrews. And we have read about in Hebrews. Um, we've got this Christianity. So when James is writing to these people, he, he, although he's writing to save people, he still identifies them as being 12 tribes. Okay, now the 12 tribes give reference to the, the Jewish tribes, you, you know, there were 12 tribes of the nation of Israel. And so he's writing to all Jewish believers, not followers of the Jewish religion, but those Jews that have gotten saved. Now, notice that they're scattered abroad. Why are they scattered? They're scattered because they're under great persecution for accepting and believing in this man, Jesus Christ, as being the Son of God. They're under heavy persecution. You know, we, we I, I think I talked about this in Hebrews. We, you know, we, we get mad if somebody don't like the fact that we go to church or we, we go to church somewhere. Or we, 
or we don't know how to handle it. We don't know how to handle the pressure of somebody not liking us. What, man, these people are under grave persecution to the degree that they're being scattered because they're, they're going to be put to death. That, that's the degree in this thing. So they're scattered everywhere because of the persecution in which they're under. So that's who James is writing to. My brethren, so again, saved people, Count it all joy. I like that. Uh, that. That means to consider it joy. Count it all joy. Consider it a joyous thing when you fall into divers' temptations. Now, the term divers here means diverse. And so we should count it joy when we fall into a diverse... That's where we get the term diversity. Divers, diverse, diversity... And that means many different, many different kinds, many colored, varied. And so it says, count it on joy when you fall into divers temptations. So the term temptations here would mean trials or tests. So we're to count it all joy. So when God, well, why would we do that? Why, why, how could you possibly do that? Well, if God is testing you, it is because he loves you. It is because he wants you to go through growth. Look at Abraham. Look at the Old Testament uh, believers in which we talked about in Hebrews 11 and different ones. God would test those men and women. He would test those people, those believers. And he would do that because he, he wanted them to mature in the grace of God. He wanted them to grow because of his love for them, his desire for their growth, his desire for their maturity. So if God is putting you through a test, he, he is doing so in order that you might grow. And so we, we should count it all joy. We should find it a wonderful thing. We should find it a, a great thing that God loves us so much that he's doing that for us. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers' temptations. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Okay? <clears throat> the, the term patience would mean not wanting or not waiting for something to happen, but enduring with the grace of God what is happening. Okay? That's, that's so, we, we think of patience as I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting. That's not the reference to patience here. Patience means that you are enduring something that's happening with the grace of God manifesting your life. You're doing it gracefully. So count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So when our faith gets tried, God is working patience in us. All right, let's talk about something. I've had people ask me this a lot. It's, it's probably one of the most age-old statements in the Bible, or, or not in the Bible, in, in religion, in Christianity. Preacher, should we pray for patience? Should we pray for patience? And somewhere down the line, we've, had preachers tell us, don't ever pray for patience, you know, because God will put you through something to, 
to increase your patience. He'll send trials. He'll send troubles. He'll send tribulations. Well, the fact of the matter is, is God doesn't necessarily send them to increase patience. He does so to increase maturity. And he's going to do that as he desires and he wills no matter what. If God loves us, and he does, he has saved us, he has got a purpose for our lives, then he is going to send what he desires our way if he wants growth and maturity out of us. Okay, Whether we pray for patience or whether we don't, if we're drawing closer to God and God wants wants more out of us in the realm of maturity and growth and patience and all of that, then he's sending it, friend. He's sending it. So we need to to learn with patience to endure that which comes our way that we might grow in grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Verse number three, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. And verse four, but let... So that means you don't fight against it, you don't you don't resist it, you don't come against you let you allow patience to have her perfect work. The term perfect here means full effect. Enduring to the end, it means there's a perfecting and a maturing that would go on in you. And we are to allow patience to have her perfecting work in us that you may be perfect and entire and wanting nothing. That means mature and complete. So, first four verses in James, we find immediately that this book is written that we might mature in the faith. Now, let me get on my preaching box. Some of the most immature people I've ever seen in my life are, have been older people that have sat around on church pews for half or all of their lives. Just because you are aged and just because you are, you've been saved a certain amount of time does not mean you're very mature acting. In fact, I have seen many, and I'm, I continue to see it to this day. It, in fact, it blows my mind. I, I've been at it a long time now. Okay, I'm at the stage in the ministry, in, the, in the preaching and teaching and studying and loving the Bible. I'm at the stage <clears throat> where I've seen it going on going on two generations, working on two generations, generations 20 years. So um, I'm at a right around 30 years I've been into this. So, you know, a generation and a half anyway. So I've seen a generation and a half. And there are less, more, less, there are more people that lack maturity right now than I've ever been in contact with. Now, I, I don't know if that is God putting those folks in my path and, and my call is to assist them in their maturing process. But I, I've seen people, be uh, older people, I've seen people that have been in church 
for most of their lives. I have seen people hold offices in church, and I that I am almost in shock at the lack of spiritual maturity that they have. People that have run their entire lives, in their entire Christian lives, by their emotions, by their intuition, by how they feel, by their seeming wisdom, by what they think. That is not spiritual maturity. That is not biblical maturity. People that are mature in the faith, people that are mature in the Word of God, live their lives or do everything they can to live their lives by the dictates of the Bible. Not their emotions, not their intellect, not their wisdom, not their feelings, not their intuitions, by the Bible. Now, do you see how many people we see that are actually immature? Okay, I, I, the Bible says a hoary head is a crown of glory if it be found if it be found in the way of righteousness. So the hoary head is a white hair. It's a crown of glory if you're found in the way of righteousness. Now that gets to verse five. We're talking about growing in grace. We're talking about maturing in grace. I mean, I. Sir, I, I again, I don't want to get on a soapbox. We, we, you know, we we keep limited time in podcast teaching, but some things I've seen in Baptist churches in the past five to ten years, even the past few years, have have been have been things that I've almost it almost takes you back to middle school. It takes you back to the elementary school playgrounds and and upset. You, you remember how the, the little girl would be upset and you could see that she was upset on her face and she had, or the little boy was upset because somebody that was that was in elementary school. That was in elementary. Oh, I've got to have my way. I've got my agenda. This is how I want things to go. That that was in elementary school. So you see the lack of maturity in people sometimes that are twice my age now. So verse 5 of James 1, If any of you like wisdom, many like that, God desires to give us wisdom. To every child of God, this verse conveys the thought that if any of you want it, God will give it. Remember Solomon? Solomon had a desire for wisdom, and God allowed him to be the most wise man, wisest man that ever lived, because that was his desire. So, verse 5 If any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. The one time that you find God being liberal. <laughs> Amen. Any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally. He will give you as much as much wisdom as you desire. And upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. If you want wisdom, ask of God, and he'll give you as much as you want. 
But if you do, verse 6, let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. You've got to put a determination into being a wise Christian. And why That is my desire. You see stages in adulthood. You see stages in manhood, in womanhood. And one of them in manhood is a sage. In other words, you have reached sagehood. You have reached a place where you're the, you, you've gained wisdom. You can impart wisdom. You can act on wisdom. And, and you, you can go to, for, be, you can be counted on to be a voice of reason, to be level-headed, to not be swayed one way or another, or not often one ditch or another. That, that's, that's the goal and the objective that God wants us at, men and women. That's my goal as a man, is to be at that place where I, um, you, you never, you never swayed one way or another. Like, look, I'm showing it in you the Bible. Verse, verse six, but it let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. Do you know what to waver means? To waver means to not be sure, to be, to go back and forth, to to not be steadfast, to sway from side to side. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. You watch the waves out on the sea. You never know when they're going to land. You don't know when they're going to crash. You don't know when they're going to peak. I mean, it's an entire sport called surfing that is centered around trying to ride a wave and you never you never understand how it's going to react and how it's going to break man that's people that's people and that's not wise people where you never know what you're going to get out of them you don't know what mood they're going to be in that day you don't know that's how i feel pastoring sometimes you don't know what mood people are going to be in you don't know where where they're at in their frame of mind their frame of spirit that's not where God wants us. That's not the life that he wants us to live. It says plainly, verse 6, that, that it, it, you ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. If a person is double-minded... Double-minded. I watch people. I give them time. People get on bandwagons. Give them time. Watch their consistency. Double-minded. What does it mean to be double-minded? Well, we would probably call it two-faced. But it's not. It's not just two-faced. It's also two. You know what? Two-faced is. You know, where you play both sides of the fence, both sides of the coin, both sides of an issue, um, not being not being genuine and honest with e- anyone. Well, a double-minded man is essentially the same thing, but he's also double-minded in the fact that you can't count on him, you can't trust him. Now, I, I'm just going to tell you. If I can't, if if someone proves to me that I can't trust them, I, 
I don't have, I will love and minister. I'll do my best to, to pray. And if they need help, I'll help them spiritually if they genuinely need it. But if, if they prove themselves untrustworthy, especially after a second or third attempt, I, you you can't you you can't. The Bible says confidence in an unfaithful man is like a broken tooth and a foot out of joint. You you ever had a broken tooth? You can't count on it to chew with it. Foot out of joint, you can't count on it to walk on it. So, would I love them? Yeah. Would I help them if they needed it? Yeah. But I would never count on a person that was unstable that was double-minded, that was two-faced. I would never count on them. I'd never put faith in them. I'd never put stock in them. I've got Bible to tell me that. People say, well, you ought to be gracious. I, you tell that to the Word of God. You tell that to the... Because that's what the Word of God says about it. Unstable in all their ways. You can't count on a broken tooth. You can't count on a, a, a foot out of joint. You can't put confidence in them. You can't put trust. You can't put hope. So the best advice there is to learn to be trustworthy. Learn to value your word, to value your integrity. Farron will tell you this. Farron works with me in business and helps me. This is the truth for God. I, I, I'll be preaching this probably sometime soon when we get into the new year and talk about integrity and things like that. I... I've had a lot of customers in a, in these years I've been in business. Lots. I never worry, and, and I won't say worry, but anytime someone I I am anytime somebody makes me worry about, let me. I want to say this right. Just about every problem I've had, when I don't have many, because I try to run things right and appropriately. Every customer that was just the most difficult to please or was I worried about them paying me, making things right, what have you. Someone I felt like was trying to get the best of me. It's always somebody that's a big part of a church. I'm serious. I'm not saying every, every obviously everyone in our churches is not like this. But I am telling you, if I were to go through and enlist customers or clients that I felt were, were totally irrational and wanted more than, than what, what they paid for, did I worry about them paying me for the services rendered? Every single one were big-time, quote-unquote, Christians. I mean, Bible verses everywhere, members Talk about God. Talk about Jesus. Every single one. Every single one. I've walked up and, and dealt with people with beer cans all through their trash cans or, you know, roughnecks. Don't, never had a problem. Never, that, glad the service you rendered. Glad you was a blessing. Glad you... You were a friend to them, glad you could help them. But I'm telling you, people that say they're Christian, 
can be some of the nastiest, hardest to deal with, vilest, na- just just people you don't want to deal with. Every time. Now, I'm not saying every Christian's like that, but the ones that are always hard to deal with, Christians. Just telling you, quote unquote, Christians, because it ain't very Christ like. So the Bible is working on character in James. Okay? Verse 8 A double minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the grass, he shall pass away. It's talking about those that. That, that live through this life and they don't have a ton, a lot, but it, versus the rich that that go through life with much. Um, it says what you attain in this life is going to pass away, okay? And you should not put stock and faith and hope in it. Verse 11, for the sun is no sooner risen with the burning heat, but it is withered the grass and the flower thereof falleth and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation. So that means you'll be happy if you get through temptations, as temptations come your way. Blessed will you be, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised them that love him. So the Bible teaches us there, I will do a study sometimes on the different crowns that you'll receive. One of them that you will receive is a, a temptation that you will gain, that or a crown that you will gain as a result of going through temptation and testing, and and you come out with your faith intact and shining as gold. Okay. I'm going to, we're going to close out there. We've, we've went 30 minutes. Uh, verse thir- ver- We're going to start the next time, Sunday night in verse 12. And we're going to go through the end of the chapter. But verse 12 through verse, verse 18 are of extreme importance. Okay? So let's backtrack where we go where, or where we are at this point. Where we are at this point is the Word of God is teaching us that God is very concerned. Now remember, this is the oldest of all New Testament books. It's an older book than Matthew. It's an older book than Mark, Luke, John. It, it was written before any of the Old or I'm sorry, New Testament. It is, is written before any of the New Testament books. And God, as he opens up chapter 1 in the first 11 verses, tells us how concerned he is with our maturity, how concerned he is with our spiritual stability, how concerned he is with us having wisdom. And I close with that. We should be the most grounded. We should be the most settled. We should be the most stoic. We should be the most dependable. We should be the most faithful people on the face of the earth. Now, doesn't say our personalities are all going to be the same, all going to be the best, but we should be an, a, a, a wise people and a people that are easy 
to deal with in this world. And that's what James chapter 1, and a people that are easy to count on, and you can rest on them. You, you, you can rest on them being solid and rest on them being faithful. That's what James 1 is teaching us, to mature in the grace of God. All right, Sunday night, we're going to get into temptation, how to deal with it, how to address it, how to go through it. I hope you've enjoyed James chapter 1, first 11 verses. Good night. God bless. I love each of you.